going to be in the second chapter of Acts this morning, and that should surprise no one because it is Pentecost Sunday, and I think somewhere in my preaching certification it says you must preach on Acts on Pentecost Sunday. It's just a requirement. Um, the word Pentecost means 50th, and the significance of that is that it occurs 50 days after the Passover. And every time I think about the timing of how God worked through Christ to bring about our redemption and to begin His church and to fulfill His mission on this earth, um, it's pretty amazing. 
these festivals of Passover and Pentecost began way back in the Old Testament, centuries before. And God chose on the Passover to allow Christ to become the lamb who was slain. Just as in the Old Testament, they, they took a lamb and they put its blood on the doorpost so the, the plague of death would pass over their houses. So God chose that occasion to allow the, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to be slain and his blood to be poured out so our sins can be forgiven and death can pass over us as well. Then 40 days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about the significance of the ascension. And then 10 days after that comes Pentecost, which was a celebration of the harvest. Uh, the barley harvest, I believe. The people would gather for Passover in Jerusalem, and many of them would stay over the entire 50 days and celebrate Pentecost as well. And it was on that occasion that God chose to fulfill his promise to his disciples. In, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he had said to them, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I wonder what was going through their mind when they heard those words, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They knew about the Spirit of God. They read in the pages of the Old Testament how the Spirit of God would come upon the great men of old and they would perform God's mighty works. They had witnessed the Spirit of God through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. They'd seen His miracles of healing. They saw Him raise the dead. They saw Him rise from the dead. Jesus had often talked about the Holy Spirit. He told them that he would be a counselor to guide them into the truth of his word. He would be a comforter to help them in their times of trouble. But now they were to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when we think of baptism, we get the imagery of a body of water, a person being immersed in the water completely, the waters flowing over them. And whereas before in the Old Testament, it was God above us. The Holy Spirit would work down upon man, but did not live in the people of God. Then in the person of Jesus, it was the Spirit with us. We could see the Holy Spirit at work through the life of Jesus Christ. But now at Pentecost, it was to be the Spirit in us. Just as the waters of baptism overwhelm us and flow over us and completely cover us. So now the Holy Spirit is to come into the life of every person who receives Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon the people of God corporately. Here in Acts 2, the Spirit of God is going to come upon each person of God individually. Here's how it happened. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came up to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's stop there. By the way, this is a good place to remind you, or to, not to remind you because I haven't told you yet, but to tell you that I had way too much to say about this, and I was in a quandary. I could either preach one message that's like 50 minutes long, or I could divide it in two. I hope I made the right choice, but I decided to make it two. Now, if you prefer me to preach for 50 minutes, just put your hand up and, and thank you, thank you. I see those. Thank you, thank you. Okay. No, I'm going to divide, I'm going to divide it in two. I, I, have, I had just had too much to say on this. Next week, I want to talk about those images. Did you hear how the Spirit came upon them with the sound of a rushing mighty wind and tongues as a fire? Those are important, and I want to talk about those, but I'll do that next week. This morning, I want to focus more on how they prepared to receive the Holy Spirit. What was going on in their lives at the time they received the Holy Spirit? And the first thing that was happening is that they were living in obedience to God. They were living in obedience to God. There is a direct tie between our obedience to the Lord and the ability of the Spirit to work in and through us. And you don't have to take my word for that. Jesus said in John 14, he said, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is making a direct connection between the abiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our obedience to Him. And when we start talking about obeying the Lord, um, we struggle with that sometimes. Look at it this way. When I'm, when I'm doing a, a project, say I'm building something, if I'm working inside the house, if I'm doing something that my wife has asked me to do, I have a standard called just right. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it and I'll go back and redo part of it. I'll tweak this part a little bit. I'll keep at it until it is just right. Because it's, it's what Sue wants in her house. Last weekend, I built a deck around part of my pool. Now, outdoor construction requires a different standard than just right. Outdoor construction allows for close enough. That's good enough. If you were to come over and look at my pool deck, you might get down and eyeball it and say, is that completely square? It's close enough. Did you get all those cut exactly right and they fit together all just right? It, it's, it's good enough. 
It's a deck. You can stand on it. You won't fall. It'll hold you. It'll serve its purpose. See, good enough is a functional standard. It's good enough to perform the function for which it was built. Might not be the prettiest looking deck. But I'm going to blame that on you, Greg. You gave me, you gave me bad wood, you know. I, 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 got, I got the wood from, from Greg and Pam. And so if it doesn't look the best, it's, it's the wood. I had to work with what I had, you know. <laughs> and I didn't always have the right tool. You're supposed to pry with a pry bar, but a large screwdriver will do it. You're supposed to hammer with a hammer, but a large pipe wrench will also serve the function. So, you see, I have these two standards, just right and good enough. Now, now, when it comes to obedience, unfortunately, in our relationship with the Lord, we think we can apply the good enough standard to our relationship with Him and our obedience to Him. As long as we're doing most of what He wants us to do, we should be okay, right? I mean, he gave us what? Ten commandments? Say I average seven. I, I average about obedience seven out of ten. <laughs> Shouldn't that be good enough? All right, put it in this context. Say you are a parent with a teenager. Some of you are parents with teenagers. And you give your uh, son or daughter, uh, let's say eight, basic rules of behavior that you expect them to follow. And they do something that's wrong. And you call them in and you sit down and you say, you know, I told you not to do that. And they say, wait, wait a minute. You gave me eight rules. I kept six of them. Isn't that good enough? I mean, yeah, I went to a party where there was drinking. I wasn't supposed to, and I stayed out two hours past curfew. But I mowed the grass. I took out the trash. I cleaned my room. <laughs> I mean, they start rattling off all the rules they kept. I just broke those two. Are you as a parent going to go, well, okay, six out of eight, that's, that's good enough. Or are you going to insist on complete obedience to all of them? And if that's how you would relate to your child, why would you expect your Heavenly Father to relate any differently to you? Should He be satisfied that we obey most of His commands most of the time? Or does he have a right to expect complete and full obedience of his children, just like we do ours? Even as I wrote that, that's kind of an ouch. <laughs> I don't do it. I'm not preaching this because I've, I've mastered it, that I have 100% obedience in any and all things to our Lord's commands. I don't. I struggle as you do. And that's a hard truth for me to realize. And the hardest truth of all is when I wrote this. Never forget, partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. 
And I tell you all that because in order for the Holy Spirit to truly do its work in our lives, to truly fill us and work in us and through us, we have to be living in obedience to God's will and God's way. If we don't, we hamper the work of the Spirit. We, what the Bible says, we quench the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to talk more about that next week. But if we really want the Holy Spirit to do in us what it did in them, we have to be living in obedience to Him as they were. Because the important thing to realize about this whole Pentecost thing, I'm not talking about it as an ancient historical event that took place over 2,000 years ago to a group of people in a foreign land and really has no impact upon me today. The Pentecost experience has everything to do with me today and with you. Do you realize we're only here this morning because of Pentecost? If you were to trace the history of our church back, trace it back, trace it back, you know where you end up? Acts 2. Do you know if the Lutherans out on 37 trace their history back where it goes? Acts 2. Do you know where the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Catholics, the Pentecostals, if they all trace themselves back, do you know where they end up? Acts 2, because that was the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. If the Spirit had not been poured out upon them on that day, at that time, then we would not be here today. So we owe our very existence as believers in Jesus Christ and the, the existence of our churches to the fact that that they believed the Lord and they walked in obedience to the Lord and they allowed the Spirit of God to fill them and possess them and to use them and they worked in a mighty way. The Bible says that on that day of Pentecost when they received the Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues. And this is not just an unintelligible babbling. These tongues were various languages. Remember I told you that the feast of the Passover, people would gather from all over and they would stay for Pentecost. And there were people from many different countries in Jerusalem at the time the Spirit was poured out. And God enabled His followers to speak in these languages they had never learned, they had never studied, they may not have even heard before. But suddenly they were able to proclaim the good news of Jesus in that language. And they poured out into the streets and you can imagine these people are all milling around in Jerusalem. And suddenly I hear somebody yelling at the top of his voice, talking about some person named Jesus in my language. Well, naturally, I'm gonna, i got to go over here and hear this. I'm going to gravitate to that person. And, and these people went over here. And these people went over here. And suddenly you had all these different nationalities and groups of people in various languages hearing the same message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says 3,000 came to the Lord that day. Now that's church growth. It's estimated there were 125 believers in Christ who had gathered together in that place when it said they were all together in one place. About 125. By, by sundown, 3,000. Wouldn't that rock your boat? What would you do with that? 
Imagine this morning while we're having church and I'm preaching the word of God, suddenly people just started pouring into this building. They started coming in that door and that door and those doors. Back here, they just started pouring in. You could no longer sit down. You all have to stand up because you've got to squinch together because there are so many people packed into this single building. And 3,000 people came to Christ today. What would we do with that? I'd be calling up the high school and saying, I need your auditorium for four services next Sunday. <laughs> and you know, that's exactly what we would do. Because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit came upon them and the Spirit moved and the Spirit acted and the church came alive and the church began to fulfill its purpose. And we need to think of Pentecost not as some ancient, crusty, old piece of history, but we need to think of the Pentecost experience as something that happens again and again and again in the lives of those who say, I believe in Jesus. So our prayer needs to be not thank you, Lord, that you did it then, but do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Not only were they living in obedience to the word of God, but they were in prayer. The Bible says they were praying intently for the spirit to come into their lives. And it is through prayer that we often access the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our own life. One of my favorite scriptures is the one that says, we don't even know how to pray as we should, but many times the Spirit takes over and says, I got this. <laughs> I know what's in your heart. I know what's in your mind. I know what you're trying to say to God, even though you can't get the right words connected. I got this. I'm going to pray it for you, and I'm going to access His power on your behalf. We have anybody here like Star Trek? Trekkies? I had a bunch of them in the 930 service. I thought I might be at a, some kind of convention or something. You know, I mentioned Trey. I always hand yeah, Trekkies. Um, but you know, what I like about Star Trek, it's pretty predictable. In just about every episode or every movie of Star Trek, the Enterprise is in some kind of grave danger. And Captain Kirk will get on the horn and say, Scotty, I need more power. And Scotty will call back up, Captain, I've given you all she's got. <laughs> but somehow, someway, Scotty will pull this button, push that lever, take this off, put that on. He will do something and suddenly the engines will roar to life and they will get the power they need to just at the nick of time get them out of danger and survive. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Every day, we find ourselves facing various levels of trouble and danger. Problems arise. Circumstances start to mount up against us. Troubles come. Temptations seem to fall in, in front of us every day. And like Captain Kirk, we go to the Lord in prayer and say, I need more power! And like Scotty, God always finds a way to give us the power we need when we need it.
Today we celebrate Pentecost. And today we pray, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for recording for us in the pages of your word how your spirit was poured out upon those who dared to believe in you. Those who dared to believe that Jesus had not only died for them, but had risen from the grave, had ascended into heaven, and that now they were receiving this personal infilling of his presence and his power. Lord, we pray, do it again every day. Fill us as you filled them. Work through us as you work through them. Use us as you use them for your glory, for your honor, for your kingdom. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. In Jesus' name, amen. But in order to be filled with his spirit, we have to be receptive to it. We have to be willing to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have to accept his work on the cross for our salvation before we can receive his presence in our life through his spirit. And that's the step we have each week as we worship and we have this time that we call an invitation because that's exactly what it is. We are inviting you to not only hear the good news of Jesus, but to receive and to act upon the good news of Jesus. We talked about the importance of obedience. This is your first act of obedience as a Christian. It's to become a Christian. It's to accept Jesus and his work on the cross for your salvation. To be baptized in his name. And then you will be prepared in such a way that his spirit can come upon you and you can receive him. We invite you this morning, if you've not taken that step of faith to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it would be my joy, my privilege to receive you, to pray with you, to invite you to share in a confession of faith that says, I believe in Jesus and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I invite you to come as we stand together. We're going to sing hymn number 408. Sing! 